Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show that helps us love ourselves and each other more deeply. Today, I'm chatting to Paul Brunson. And what I say is that instead of focusing on, let me go out and try to find the one, find your social capital. Do more of the things that turn your lights on. Do more of the things that make you go to sleep with a smile on your face and wake up with a smile on your face. And when you do that, when your light is on, I guarantee you everything else in life becomes better. You know, and, and that's, that's ultimately the best strategy that we could use in life. Paul is a relationship expert, entrepreneur and TV host, best known here in the UK for Celebsco Dating and Married at First Sight. He's the head of Global Research Insights at dating app Tinder and has been named the world's most influential matchmaker by the Matchmaking Institute. And he's just written an absolutely gorgeous book that I'm incredibly excited to say is being published by Happy Place Books. It's called Find Love and it's got everything in there. Red flags, green flags, dating apps, attachment styles, compromising, basically everything that can make finding love feel like an absolute minefield. And this all applies whether you're single or in a relationship, by the way. I've been married for nine years, but I learned so much from this chat with Paul. Oh, and by the way, some behind-the-scenes intel. So, producer Anushka always reminds us not to touch the table if possible, because then you can hear it in your headphones and it's really annoying. Paul, the lovely man that he is, was really doing his best to follow the rules. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right, here it is. This is the show. Paul, welcome to the Happy Place podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so happy to have you on for so many reasons. One of them being, I am chuffed and proud to say that Happy Place Books are publishing your beautiful book. Yes, 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 yes. I'm over the moon. Yeah, you know, it is an honor. It is it is truly, truly, truly an honor to do this in partnership with you, in partnership with Happy Place. And it is a happy book. It's a, such you know a mean? happy book. Yes. And it's a really clever book for so many reasons. One being, and you say this in there, you bridge the gap between the advice you'd get from your auntie and the data <laughs> you'd get from a scientist. Yes. Which is what we need. We don't want it to be just sort of nostalgic and advice-led or just data, because that gets quite heavy. This book has got all of it in there. That seems very important. Yes, it's, it's, it's the in-between. And I think it's because my history is I'm a researcher. You know, that's really what my first career was before matchmaking. And so I like the nerdy, empirical data. I go to sleep every night, Fern. This is no, no exaggeration. I am either reading a research study or I'm listening to a lecture. 
almost every night. Like I fall asleep to 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 that. I was listening to a to a, to a, to a lecture on uh, uh, Aristotle's books uh, last night. Like before I went to Why? sleep. You know, it's one of those where I love that. But then also on the other side, there is value to your auntie or to your friend telling you about the experiences that they've gone through. Yeah, like that course. anecdotal evidence. That's good. So I'm trying to take that plus the nerdy stuff, yep. bring it together and deliver it in a way that's easily digestible. So before we get to the data and the sciencey stuff, what do you bring to the table from your personal life, from your own experience of love and from your childhood? Where, What value do you find in your own personal experience of love? Oh my gosh. I mean, starting off as a, as a child, I think I had a, you know, challenges as a child. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think this is important is because when you have gone through the challenges, when you've walked through the, the, the storm, you have that experience. You could speak to it firsthand, right? So I have that from the standpoint of, I always look at, uh, people talk about attachment style, right? Uh, most people right now, 50 to 60% of adults have a secure attachment style, which is great, yeah. right? Not me. You know, I have an anxious attachment style, which is why I'm going to be hitting the table all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, One note from Anushka. <laughs> yeah, you see Don't it. hit the table, Cole. It's your only like, note. Boom. You know what I'm doing? I'm watching the water <laughs> level to see if I'm touching the table. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Please don't worry about it. Look, we'll all just do this. Get it out of okay. our system. All right. It's out. I've touched it. It's out. So um, for anyone that doesn't know what attachment theory is, yes. can you do a little breakdown? Because I think this is such an interesting topic and it's one that I've certainly been trying to learn about I don't think I've got a secure attachment theory and you know I think you have to go through quite a severe period of um therapy and analysis to work out exactly what it is you don't want to do like a quick online quiz for this Agreed. stuff this is like a big thorough jobby Agreed. so what is attachment theory if you can break it down sure in, in, in short uh, uh Ainsworth uh, who was a researcher she did some research in Uganda and then she went over to to Baltimore uh not too far from where I lived and what she did is she looked at the relationship that children had with their primary caregiver, which was typically their mother, right? And what they did is it was called the stranger test, where they would take the caregiver and the child and walk into a room, just the two of you. And then the primary caregiver would leave, leave the child in the room. Now, when the caregiver came back just a few moments later, they would look at whether or not the child immediately adjusted. So, you know, if your caregiver leaves the room, comes back in, you're probably freaking out a little bit when they leave, but when they come back, you calm down. You're like, okay, caregiver's back. I'm cool. That was considered a secure, secure right? right? Now, if the caregiver left, you're freaking out a little bit and then comes back and then you have no reaction at all. You're like, I don't care that you're back. It doesn't matter. That would be avoidant. Right. You have no emotional attachment to your caregiver. Now, if the caregiver left, came back and you were, you know, happy, but then still a little bit, Anxious, you know, that they're there, but you're going back and forth. That's an anxious attachment style. These became the three primary attachment styles. Now, there was Dr. Levine who wrote a book called Attached just a few years ago. And that really brought attachment to the forefront. And what you have is a lot of people now talking about attachment style. And the reason why is because that attachment as a child is how we show up as adults. Mm. It's how we relate to each other as adults. So if you have an anxious attachment style, like I have an anxious attachment style, what ends up happening is I'm constantly thinking that my wife or the person I'm in a relationship with, it could be a business partner, it could be anything, that 
I don't know if I if 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 they see my worth, if they see my value. So I'm constantly trying to reconnect with them to make sure. Are you okay? Like, am I okay? Did oh, I this is okay? ringing a bell. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was avoidant, I would just say, ah, oh, it do- it it doesn't. Matter. Yeah, you know, so uh, interesting. Yeah, and it shows up in everything. E- even like even when you look at things like um, you know, uh, one night stands, for example, you see that we react based on our attachment style. So if you are secure or if you are uh, anxious, you typically hate a one night stand. You have low satisfaction. A matter of fact, there's some research, there's some great research on this where the number of orgasms, right, that has had is much lower if you have a secure or if you have an anxious, yes, yes, number of orgasms you have is, is lower if you have secure or anxious attachment style for casual sex. However, if you are avoidant, number of orgasms are higher. Why is that? Why? Because you have no emotional connection. So you're good. (laughs) You you don't want to have an emotional connection. You're like, this is great. I don't even have to talk to you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So attachment styles show up Everywhere. Everywhere. Wow. Everywhere, yeah. I mean, this is a subject I'm still learning about. It seems like there are always new corners you're going to discover with attachment theory, and it's embedded in all of us. Once you discovered that you had an anxious attachment style, how did you approach relationships differently? Well, I didn't discover that until I was, uh, you know, adult and already married. But what happened, and this was a blessing, is that my wife had a secure attachment. And the single best thing we can do if we are anxious or we are avoidant is to find someone actually with a secure attachment Mm. because your attachment can shift because they will show you how to love in a healthy way. Wow. So so that that's that is that is the quick way of doing it. There's many other ways, you know, uh cognitive behavioral therapy is very, very important in terms of shifting and there's other things you can do but finding someone who's just has a secure attachment style and that doesn't have to be a lover it could be a good friend you know it could be um it could be a work colleague but that's the reason why it's so important to surround yourself with 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 with, with healthy you know people who who love uh and feel and, and 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 operate in a healthy way can you change your attachment style absolutely you can absolutely and that's very important to know is that you can uh but there's a good and bad to that, right? The good is that you can change from anxious and avoidant to secure. Secure, yeah. But the bad is you can change from secure to anxious, anxious or, avoidant. or avoidant. So that's a big problem that a lot of people, you know, I, I think that we don't put enough emphasis on casual relationships, right? So you think, okay, and not, not you, but anyone, right? <laughs> yeah, just pointing at <laughs> yeah, me. Like, um, we so, need to talk. <laughs> so, so far, here's what you really think, right? But you could have, you, you could say, a lot of people say, oh, you know what, if um, you're going back on the dating scene, you know, oh, just just date anyone. It, it doesn't really matter. Just go out for a few dates. It, it's okay. No, those interactions can have a lasting impact on you, right? So, Having a secure attachment, you could move to avoid and you could move to to anxious. So yes, you can change. 
Okay, this is extremely interesting because I think many people out there now listening to this who are single and who want to find love and they want to really get themselves in a great relationship. I think many people in this day and age, because dating has changed drastically over the years, don't know where to start. I mean, I met my husband in 2011 in a club in Ibiza. Very old fashioned way of meeting someone (laughs) like, oh, I fancy him. He fancies me. And we've managed to, through hard work, make our marriage work. And here we are. Nice. Um, but obviously, if I was single today, I'd probably jump on an app immediately. Dating has really, really changed. So when you talk about casual relationships, should people be pickier when they're approaching dating? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that we should be very selective in who we commit to. Right. But we should be very open in who we interact with initially. Okay. Right. Because so uh, I ran, my wife and I had a matchmaking agency in the United States. And it was one of the biggest matchmaking agencies before we sold it in 2017. And what we discovered is that most people don't go, like most people don't interact with other people, especially today. You know, yeah. you, you actually, it was a blessing that you met your husband in, you said 2011. Yeah. The next year, Tinder was founded. And when Tinder launched first mobile app, right, what you saw is you saw a massive transferring of people to go online to interact. And now online is the number one way, whether that's a dating app or Instagram or whatever it may be. So that you were kind of like at the, that was the last year of yeah, people old school. really meeting people, you know, in person. Yeah. But, but, but what I say, I, and I, and I think what's important here is that you want to meet lots of people. You, it, this is very important for many reasons, right? You, it, we're social creatures. We, 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 we thrive off of connection. You so, call this social capital? Social capital. Taught, I love this theory because I'd never heard that phrase. And it's even changed how I'm living my life outside of, obviously I'm not dating, outside of the dating realm. It's changed how I'm going about my day. It's informing whether I bother to go to something or not. And sometimes I will choose rest over going to something, but... The value in social capital seems pertinent to this conversation. Tell us tell us about it. Absolutely. It, it all connects because social capital is just essentially everything that is our asset. It could be our network, so our friends, the people that we know. It could be our skills. We could be a phenomenal podcaster. Like, it, you know, whatever it is that we do, right, fashion, whatever it is, simply pour more of your time and energy in those in those things. And as you do that, what ends up happening is the other things level up like a tide, right? So I guarantee you, the more prolific you are at doing this, the more your network grows. Yeah. The more prolific you are at fashion. You I'm know? wearing my love dress for you today. Oh my, by the I way. see it. I see it with the heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, chosen especially for you. No, well, I, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But I'm saying, but, and, 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 and the more, you know, the, the, the better you are, the, the, the more energy and, and, and that you throw into fashion, it then elevates your podcasting, actually, and your network, right? So this is social capital. And what I say is that instead of focusing on, let me go out and try to find the one. Find your social capital. Do more of the things that turn your lights on. Do more of the things that make you go to sleep with a smile on your face and wake up with a smile on your face. And when you do that, when your light is on, I guarantee you everything else in life becomes better. You know, And, and that's, that's ultimately the best strategy that we could use in life. 
But you say, don't do this to try and find a partner. Do this so you can be your best self. So it's almost shifting focus on what the aim is. Even if you are single and desperate to find love, create this social capital and do things that light you up for you. For, for you. Uh, Bronnie Ware wrote... Uh, I love her. You, oh, my God. Oh, She's you, been on the podcast. Has she been on the podcast? I love her. Oh, my gosh. I love her so much. You know, I, lo- I adore her. I love her more. I, I, I don't know. I may love her more. <laughs> <laughs> I think I love her more, right? But yeah, incredible, right? Incredible book. book. In- incredible on her experiences in that last 12 weeks of people living. And one of those five lessons that she talked about was just essentially people saying, you know, I just wish I was happier. Yeah. Think about that. I have been... Um, you know, I, I don't want to go w- way deep on this, but I'm curious too about your experiences. Um, I've been at the deathbed of two people who have, I have been talking to them. They were in the hospital and then within 24 hours, they, they died. And they both said the same thing. They said, life goes by quick. Mm. And they think about their most intimate relationships and they wish that they could have just done more or been more present for them more. And, 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 and they're talking about how I just wish I was, I was happier. I was more content with my interactions with them. Think about that. These are two people who in their last moments of being on this earth, this is what they said. And so I think we have to take that information that Bronnie's writing about, this anecdotal that, that I observe, is that ultimately we we do... We do manage our own happiness. We manage it. There's lots of things happening in this world that do impact our happiness without a doubt, right? Certain people, we are born in certain areas where it is incredibly hard to find happiness, incredibly hard, but we can still manage what we have. You know, um, there is uh, Carol Riff. Carol Riff is someone who doesn't get enough credit. And she doesn't have enough exposure, I don't think. She's a researcher. Okay. Carol Riff, uh, in the 1980s, she researched all of the top theologians on happiness. She looked at Eric Erickson. She looked at Maslow. She looked at Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's uh, Search for Meaning. She looked at Aristotle. She looked at all, all these folks. And she came up with what she considered to be the six dimensions of psychological well-being. So in essence, she's saying that we all want to be flourishing, right? Eudaimonic, that's what Aristotle says. We, we all want to be happy. We all want to be happy. No matter how much of a psychopath you are, yeah. you still want to be happy, right? We all want this, but how do we get this? So she studied all these greats and she came up with the six areas for us to get that. One of those areas is environmental mastery, right? Is in feeling like, okay, where I am, wherever I am in the world, I can make this situation work. You know, so environmental mastery is one. An- another one is personal growth, right? So feeling like you are growing, you are evolving. Another one is having inspiration, having a destination that you feel like you're going to. This is very important. Another one is relationship with 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 people, right? And I and I, I was going to say friends, but it's relation because we're social. Yeah. Creatures. So having the relationship. Another one is autonomy. Feeling like we have some control right over our time. Uh, And then the last is 
self-acceptance. And that is, I think, much more powerful than self-compassion or, or, or self-worth because that's saying, I know what my demons are and I'm okay with it. Mm. You know, So if you have all of these or, or, or you're on the pathway to developing these, according to, to Carol Riff, you are on the path to being your best self. And that's ultimately what we want. And that doesn't mean you have to have a romantic partner to get any of those things. You but know? often we do it back to front. We think when I have the partner and we're happily together, then I'll feel okay. We're waiting for someone else to come and fix us or fill the hole. But you're actually saying, and this is again data-led, do the work first. I'm, I'm sure you don't have to get to a point of completion where you're like, I am a complete soul who has self-acceptance and has full autonomy. But to be doing the work will certainly help you get to a place where you can hopefully meet the right person. You said something a minute ago, and I'm very intrigued about this. It's probably a newer concept, a, a sort of modernised concept that we have a soulmate. There is one person out there who is right for us. What do you think about that? Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> or, I'm sorry, I'm in the UK. That would be rubbish. <laughs> we can translate garbage. It's fine. Trash. It's trash. <laughs> yeah, you're the New Yorker. You know. Trash. trash. Get that trash out of here. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't buy it. I, I think soulmates, if soulmates are created, I don't think they're found. You know, I think it takes time. You know, um, uh, Michelangelo. You see, uh, he 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 created this thing called the Michelangelo effect, right? Which was He's not going to look at the stone and say, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to carve this incredible statue. He'd look at the stone and say, I'm going to unleash this incredible piece of art that's in this rock. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unleash it. I think what we end up doing is, is we find partners that help us to unleash our best self. It doesn't mean we can't get there without the partner. But it does mean that if you do have a strong partner, they can help to carve that stone faster. You know what I mean? So I think it's 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 created and not found. So, you know, that alludes to relationships have to involve work. It can't just be we fall in love and then everything, we live happily ever after and everything's absolutely plain sailing. And you've been in a very long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. They require work. And it's interesting because even if you look at Married at First Sight, you get people coming to the table with a list as long as your arm of these specifications down to shoes and accent and yep. job specifications, etc. Is that helpful to come with a big list or should we work on that connection and work on finding those points of interest that we're, that we're compatible in? When I was matchmaking in the States, someone came to me, a client came to me, she had a spreadsheet. A, a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet of what she wanted wow. in a partner. 150 items. Good feet was on the list. And not only was good feet on the list, but she had photos of this is what good feet looked. <laughs> and I was like, I definitely don't have good feet. I can tell based on these photos. <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't have good feet. Right? She th and and that's no exaggeration. That's the level of detail that some people have gone through in creating their list of desires. And I think it's because we hear all the time um, through social media, you know, you need to have standards. Standards have standards. But standards doesn't mean you have a list of 150 items with, with photographs of good feet on it. You know what I mean? And so whenever I see a list like that, I know this is going to be someone who we're going to have to work with, you know, because 
the opposite of that is someone who is open-minded. You know, Carol DeWick wrote a phenomenal book called Mindset. And in the book, she basically says that we all fall within one of two categories, depending on the scenario. We either have an open mindset or a closed mindset. A closed mindset is someone who has a long list like this because they believe that I can only work with these 150 items. That's a closed mindset. An open mindset says, you know what? Whatever you bring to the table, we can work with. That is where you want to go, that you want to be in in, in, in that space. So and you could mind. surprise yourself. You, you may like bunions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Bunions might be sexy to somebody. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm imagining that dating apps have really heightened this way of thinking. And obviously you work yeah. with Tinder, so you're an advocate for apps. And they, I've got so many friends now who are happily married, having met somebody on an app. And it's the most beautiful beautiful thing I do think you have to be open-minded to even step into that sort of territory yet the double-edged sword of apps I guess is everything is so visual and you're looking at these pictures which are kind of best snaps of somebody's life and your initiation into whether you like them or not is purely based on photo evidence what are your thoughts around that yeah I mean I'm, I'm with you I, th I think that we have always been highly visual right so uh, even if you think of, like, say, the 1950s here in the UK and there was the dance halls, for example, you know, you'd really pick the partner, not based on what you heard. You could hear what they were saying. You wanted to see them. <laughs> the hot one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me the hot one over there, right? So we, we were always visual. But what was lovely in those days is you got a chance to see someone actually dance and move and then you could interact with them. On the apps, you're seeing a very one-dimensional view of, 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 of someone. And, and apps are trying their best to increase those dimensions by having more photos, by extending the, the bio, including video and sound and all these things. Um, but it definitely has made an impact. I think that social media has made an even larger impact on our focus on the visual, but some research. Karen, I think Hit me. Love, I, I think you will love this. You'll love this. <laughs> Research states that the higher our self-esteem, the less we subscribe to traditional beauty standards. Interesting. And the more we like the quirks, the more we like what's different, right? So, and I find this to be the case all the time. You know, you'll see someone who is, you know, let's let's take, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll take a woman who she could... You, you know, she could get any man she wants in the world, right? Heterosexual woman, any man that she wants in the world, right? And then she picks someone who's like maybe a bit shorter or has different quirks. And you say, what? I don't get it. I don't understand. And I say, typically, you know what's behind that? She has high self-esteem. Mm. And she sees value in things that traditionally people may not because she's so self-assured that she doesn't feel like she's going to have any pressure coming to her from society because she 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 values herself so she she's like you know what? i like bunions or i, I like Those a man bunions. who's who, oh, yeah, the bunions keep coming <laughs> you're obsessed <laughs> i'm so upset i'm i'm a fetish for bunions <laughs> it's your thing no judgment <laughs> You don't like bunions? You don't like... I mean, there's other things I prefer. 
See, that's how high my self-esteem is. <laughs> that you cracked I, it. <laughs> that I love bunions, you know? Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm on this bunion thing. Oh, like, it's like, a, <laughs> do you think it's possible to be unlucky in love? Right, explain that one for me, though. I think there are plenty of people out there, and I've interacted with a ton of them, friends of mine who say, I'm just unlucky in love. I don't meet anyone. It always goes wrong. And that's a narrative they've perhaps subscribed to, that they are just unlucky in love. Is that possible? All right. In that context, uh, it reminds me of clients that we used to have at our agency, right? So we opened our agency in Washington, D.C., very uh, transient community, right? So very few people were from DC. Most people were coming yeah. com coming from, from, from outside. But we would typically have a client who was roughly the same, you know, like roughly the same age, same career, same, you know, just, just same traits. And one of them would talk about how they despised dating in Washington, DC. It was the wickedest thing in the world because it's so transient and it's, it's terrible, right? And the other person would say, oh my God, I, I love dating in Washington, DC. This is great. It's so transient. I can meet people from all over the world. This is great. And you would see that not only was the satisfaction in the dating different, but the outcome was different. The person who was excited about it and saw getting more dates, more quote unquote successful on the dates, so from that standpoint, can we be unlucky? Yeah, I think we could be in uh, less than desirable circumstances. But oftentimes it's the story, it's the narrative that we tell ourselves. That is largely what is happening. Because when you look at the data, right? And I know I'm probably one of the few people looking at the data, but I, I often hear things like, oh, you know what? You know, men over 40 are not getting married. But you look at the actual number of people getting married in the percentages. And right now, uh, roughly a third are over the age of 40 when they when they get married. So you're talking about, if you're talking about the UK or, and or Europe or and or the US, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of men over the age of 40 who, who are getting married. The second most popular age on dating apps right now is 50s. Mm. 50s. Why? Because you have a lot of empty nest syndrome happening yeah. where the children now are going off to school or leaving the home. A couple looks at each other and says, wow, we don't know each other anymore. They break up. They go back out on, on the dating scene. So so to the point of unlucky, I could see, yeah, kind of, sort of, that could happen. You can maybe not have the right cards dealt to you, but largely it is about the narrative that we tell ourselves. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The other problem we have with modern-day relationships is, you know, obviously... Throughout human evolution, we have seen great change in what a relationship means. So previously, relationships equaled survival. You were in yes. a partnership to survive, hunter-gatherer stuff, and then things slowly, slowly changed. But I think really in the last probably 30, 40 years where women have become career women and just mm -hmm. the dynamics are changing, we're coming to a relationship with a lot of expectations. And you say this in the book, we now want so much from a partner 
it's not just about that support network. It's not just about survival. We want a best friend. We want a lover, a confidant, someone that we can perhaps have a hobby with, exercise with. We're looking for everything in a partner. Are we wrong to do so? Yeah. Uh, a lot of us are going to be unhappy as a result of that. I mean, just, just real talk. And then some of us are going to be more happy than ever, right? And and the reason for this is, so Eli Finkel, who's a great, great marriage researcher out of New York, and he wrote a phenomenal book called The All or Nothing Marriage, right? And he does a great job in breaking down what's happened over the years. So if you look at like humans, we've been here for 300,000 years, roughly. Uh, people will debate me on that, but I'll say, yeah. <laughs> we will Rob, ignore them. Yeah, yeah. forget what you, right. Um, so the first stage to, to what you're saying is, uh, he calls it the pragmatic stage. That's hunter-gatherer all the way up until really the Industrial Revolution. So we're talking about 1800s. And then between the 1800s and 1960s, what you had is you had what was called the Romantic Period. This is where we began to say, okay, so pragmatic was about survival. That was it. Just how do I have a partner so that I could survive next week, next year? That was it. And you would most likely have sex every now and then with your partner uh, and that would be it. Like you would get intellectual stimulation, you would get friendship, you would get camaraderie, you'd get that from outside of your romantic partner. But then industrial revolution comes, right? We end up leaving our family, right? As a result, right? We have these nuclear families yeah. popping up. And then you begin to say, hold on for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing you every day. We should maybe be friends at least. Let's be sex. Let's have sex and be friends. Friends with benefits, you know. Let's 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 do that, right? But but that's where that's where it's, it it then grew into yeah. companionship. That was that romantic period, and then 1960s. To your point, things like the pill, the dishwasher, that really helped to break women free. We're still living in the patriarchy, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But these were things that allowed women to have choice in their relationships. And I think it's important just to step back and think about this just for one second is women only began to have choice in relationships since mid-1960s. Yeah, I can see that with my own lineage. Like my grandmothers, they were both you know, stay at home, they would have been called housewives back in the day, but they were stay at home mums. And it was that very traditional setup. And I didn't really see either of them having much autonomy. You know, I can see with, maybe this is like a lot, but maybe one set of grandparents, there was like genuine friendship and a lot of levity and laughter. And But it still was very formatted that my grandfathers would go to work and the women were at home. Yes. That's my grandparents. That's not that long ago. It's not that long no. ago, right? And, and a lot of us are have learned that behavior, yep. you know? But to your question of, okay, in that stage, grandpa, your grandfather and grandmother, they probably were sourcing their happiness elsewhere from children, grand, of course, their grandchild, yeah. of course, right? But so now we've reached a point where this is called the self-expressive age, where we have said, okay, you know what? We want well-being. We Many of us are privileged to the point where we now don't have to worry about those lower Maslow hierarchy of needs. We don't have to worry about uh, food. We don't have to worry about shelter. M not everyone, but many of us. And so therefore, we don't have these lower level needs. What do we want? We want Maslow's high end needs. What was his highest need? He said, we want self-actualization. 
Mm. We want to feel like we meant something here on this planet and we want to flourish. So therefore, if that's our goal, right, then now in a partner, we're now looking for not the person who could protect us or feed, we could protect ourselves. We could feed ourselves. Now we want a higher evolved person. We want someone who can help us to reach self-actualization. And that means that for many of us, we will have stronger relationships than ever, ever. But for most of us, we will have dissatisfied relationships. Eli Finkel talks about this. In his latest studies, he showed that right now, 80% of marriages have lower satisfaction than they have historically. But 20% of them have higher satisfaction than they ever have in, on the planet. And I think this is the reason why you're seeing the, should I say, the destruction of marriage. This is the reason why you're seeing so many different types of relationships forming. You know, uh, let's have a uh, ethical, uh, non-monogamous, uh, long-term committed, right? There's all these categories. And the reason why is because we're trying to figure out how do we get self-actualized? How do we flourish? But at the same time, how do we still fit within this structure of the world and relationships? Well, that's right, because I think, you know, the other sort of stark contrast between this generation and, again, our grandparents' generation was they stayed married, whether they wanted to or not. Or it not. was very taboo. It did happen, of course, but it was too, much more taboo to get a divorce, whereas these days it is so commonplace. And like you say, you've got that 80% of people who feel dissatisfied in a long-term relationship or a marriage. What do we do? What do we do? If you're in that 80% and you're going, I'm dissatisfied, I'm not feeling self-actualized, I don't feel fulfilled. Do you stick it out? Do you work harder at it? When do you know when enough's enough and you should break free and, and give up? Yeah, I mean, this, this is a great question. We need 10 hours. You oh, know. God. <laughs> well, we've got all the time in the <laughs> oh, world. No, I'm in no rush. All right, uh, kick back. All right, here we go. Um, I'd say the, the first is you have to identify what it is that you want. What 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 is it that you want? So is that making a distinction between what you want versus what the world's telling us at the moment? Because yes. that's noisy. Yes. What, what, what is it that you want? And so if you think back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I think that's a good place. And it's, it's held up over time, you know, is do you want to be self-actualized? I don't know. I'm having a hard time. Self-actualized. Like, I don't know that. Uh, I'm thinking of the bunions. That's what it is. The bunions. I got the bunions on the mind. Bunions. Right? But, 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 <laughs> but, but do you want that? Because not everyone wants that. Mm. It could be a little bit lower. Because a little bit lower on his list was high self-esteem. Or love and belongingness, right? Maybe, maybe that's what you want. So you, you have to think about wh where what's the goal? And then what does your partner want? And then is your partner willing to put the effort in? Because unfortunately, what we have is we have a lot of relationships where we have partners with different goals, different desires, and not the, the you know, not having the drive to work towards the relationship. When I was uh, couples counseling, what I noticed nine times out of 10 was you would have, and it was typically, you know, in, in heterosexual relationships, typically it's the wife who will say, we're here because of me. He doesn't want to be here. And you could just look at him and he's like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Why am I here? Right. And he then proceeds to put in zero work in what's happening. Well, you can't have a relationship like that. I, I think a this is very harsh to say, but I think a relationship is either growing 
or it's dying. There's no in-between. There's no such thing as stagnation. You're not, you're never in chill mode in a relationship. Mm. You're either growing or it's dying. And so I think you have to do that work. You have to, so what is it that you want? What is it that your partner wants? Are you willing, both willing to put the effort in? If the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself, does my personal satisfaction outweigh what the world is telling me to do? And 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 a lot of people will say, well, Paul, I have, I have children. And I'll say, you know what? If you are unhappy, I guarantee you, your children know you're unhappy. And I guarantee you, your children are learning your behaviors based on the interactions. So they're learning to maybe be anxious or avoidant. They're learning to hide their emotion. They're learning to not have standards. That's what you're teaching them. Even though you don't feel like they're picking it up, oh no, no, children are highly perceptive. So so set those goals, but you have to do your best to make that decision. And I always say the worst thing in the world, because during, during a festive season, people will say, man, I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be by myself. And I'll say, the worst thing in the world is to actually be in a relationship and be lonely. Yeah. That's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's not great. And I guess a lot of that hangs in the balance due to lack of communication. Communication is key. You can't just ignore when there are problems or where there where there's an imbalance. It's it's all about communicating. If you notice there is a huge lack of communication in your partnership, how could you broach that with your partner? Yeah, well, well one is you have to, yeah. right? You, you have to be a self-advocate for you and your legacy, right? You have to be. Second is, is how you approach it. You know, I think context is very important. So I always say when you are, when you're trying to express something to your partner, perhaps it's better to express it outside of the house, right? If, if a lot of the animosity and the fighting and the arguments are happening inside the house, then go outside take a walk when you're walking to the coffee shop, whatever it may be, discuss there. Another very, very effective technique, very, very effective, write a letter. Mm. Writing a letter is is typically, I, a matter of fact, I've never seen it not be effective, right? And why? Because you, as the person who's holding this hurt, you have the ability to consciously think about it and spend your time writing out your feelings and and, 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 and your thoughts. And then you hand it over to your partner and your partner now has space to read. And your partner, because typically what ends up happening if you didn't have the letter and you just approach your partner, your partner is most likely not going to respond to you. They're going to react to you. A response is different. A response is considered. You Right now you're responding to me. You're listening to what I'm saying. Do you have your notes over here? I see your notes, but, 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 hold on, but. My little safety blanket. No, 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 but, but <laughs> I see you are hearing what I'm saying yeah. and then you are interacting with what I'm saying. So you are responding, you're not reacting. What partners typically do is they, they're not responding. They're just saying, okay, I'm just gonna wait for her to finish because I'm gonna go in and say, this. Or it's a defense mechanism kicking in, a lot of that going on. It's, yeah, yeah. So, and, and so the letter, a, a, a letter, I've, I've never seen a letter not be effective. It's a very beautiful idea. I think I love that concept of there being time and space, something that seems often like a luxury these days. But in a tricky situation like that, I think it can 
really give both sides, both parties a chance to stop and think rather than, like you say, just firing thoughts and words off that could be actually even more destructive. Yes. If there are single people listening to this and maybe they've met someone on a dating app or they've perhaps old school met someone out and about (laughs) at a party or through a friend... And they feel that instant spark and they feel, you know, the big throes of lust and all that stuff going on. But then they learn that the other person is perhaps a commitment phobe. They don't want to be in something long term. You talk about this in the book, looking at some people instantly want long term. That's their goal. I know certainly for a lot of women my age, if they want to have children, they, they're thinking it's now or never. I need mm. I need this to, to kick in now. I need to know that this person is in this for the long run. Then the other person might have just come out of a long-term relationship or just really not want to be in a long-term relationship at the moment. How do you navigate such a situation? Yeah, you don't. Really? (laughs) You don't. So relationship goals, I think, is one of the most important pieces of early communication with a potential partner today. Because to your point where you're talking about your grandparents, there was only one goal when you dated or, you know, when you were courting someone back in the day, marriage, that was it. There's no question. We're on this path to marriage. Now you're seeing someone, there are a hundred different options that you have. It doesn't have to be. And so therefore you have to clarify. I'm talking about clarify that the person wants the same goal as you. On Tinder, a feature, the most popular feature that was introduced about a year ago relationship goals. So one of the first things you do is you get on and you say, okay, I'm looking for long-term or I'm looking for short-term or I'm looking for just tonight, like whatever it may be. But you identify precisely what it is that you want because if you enter a relationship with someone, let's look at short-term versus long-term, right? There is major differences in how we show up if we're looking for a long-term partner versus a short-term partner. There's major differences in what we're looking for in a short-term partner versus a long-term partner. And there's major differences in what we will tolerate, whether we want a long-term or a short-term partner. Those bunions, can we tolerate them? That's what I'm saying. Long-term, me, yeah, I would tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) We've learned so much about you today. My wife is gonna be like, I don't have bunions. Can we just put that out there? Your wife does not have bunions. She does not have bunions. Although we have no judgment on bunions. And if you have bunions, celebrate them. That's right. And if you have bunions, I love you. That's what I'm saying. Correct. I love you. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so there's different things. So so you have to have those goals right out the gate. Yeah. This this is very important. There's other things that you should be looking at, but, but goals, very important. There seems to be a real dance around communicating in those early days. And oh my God, I remember this in every circumstance where I've met somebody and I'm wondering, you know, I'm an impulsive person. I can be quite spontaneous. I was absolutely back in the day addicted to that feeling of meeting somebody new and the excitement and the roller coaster. You know, I wasn't looking at the data. I certainly didn't see love as a science. It was just chaotic and I loved it. That was like the addiction for me was that first throes of lust and all those wonderful hormones that are flying around. But I would then get into that territory that will be so many people listening to this now. And I can think of some of my friends that I've been texting very recently about this where you don't quite know how to communicate with that person. Am I being too forward? Am I texting back too quickly? Should I 
let them text me and then wait for a day to keep them hanging on a little bit. Right. There seems to be a lot of sort of game playing in the early stages of dating and relationships. Again, is are there rules to this or is it a bespoke situation determined by who the other person is and maybe even attachment theory comes into play here? Yeah, absolutely. So, so attachment definitely comes into play, but there is a general rule of thumb. Right, general rule of thumb. I, I saw... was not taught this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. It's a bit late, but anyway. No, no, I'm no, 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 no. And you know what? And I'm willing to bet you probably did this. From what okay. I know about you, I'm willing to bet that you probably did this. So, uh, when we were in, in the matchmaking agency, we when we would set up a, a client on a date, we would give them strict rules. It's very strict, right? I'd say if you were if, if you were my client, Fern, I'd say, look, um, you're going to go out. You're going to do this coffee date. It's going to be no longer than 30 minutes. You're going to text me immediately at the end of the 30 minutes. And then I would tell the person that you're dating, I'd say, look, it's going to be 30 minutes. That's it. You're going to text me at the end, blah, blah, blah. Now, 100% of the time, here's what would happen. If I got a text back at the end of 30 minutes and my client was like, Paul, yep, I did exactly what you said. Yep, we, we ended the date. It was 30 minutes. I knew... That was not a match that was going to work. You know, the matches that work, you know what they did? They broke the rules. Yes. They broke the rules. They were like, I know Paul said 30 minutes, but forget him. We're going out. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> we're going out tonight to do blah, 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 blah. They break the rules. When you are engaging with someone and you feel as if you have to play a game, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know what? It's not there. It's, it's not there. I'm when... so glad you're saying this. That's exactly what me and Jesse had. He was the first person where I didn't play the game. I didn't wait half an hour before I text back. <laughs> I just text back straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because you because because I, I think that's what um, well, technically the nerdy thing is, is it you're, you're in a state of limerence. It's called limerence, right? Where you, you kind of suspend all belief. You're like, I'm connected to this person, you know, so I don't have to abide by any rules out here. The, so it's the rule breakers, you know, that, that did it. That's when my wife, the first date I had with my wife, the first date, it was like eight hours. It was like an eight hour date. I love it. We were supposed to go to the, to the movie. We went from from movies to, to to eating, to to the beach, to walk on. Like it was eight hours. It's like break all the rules. I love it. Yeah. One thing I'd like to ask you, being relatively new to the UK, we're so glad you live here now. Oh, we man. love having it, you as part of our a, gang. I'm official. Can I say how much I love the UK? Oh, we're I, so glad to hear this. Oh my gosh. I, I am in love. Like the food. The food? That's surprising. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You're like, sure. You're like, you're like, <laughs> come on now. It's getting a bit better. But... No, no, no. The Scotch egg. Can I say the oh Scotch God. egg? <laughs> the, the Scotch egg. The Scotch egg is the what I think the greatest invention of all time. This is an unexpected turn in the conversation. I did not see coming. The Scotch egg is the Scotch egg. You don't like the Scotch egg? Wow, no, I do not like the Scotch egg. <laughs> I really do not. When you're growing up in the UK, forced to eat them at picnics, you very quickly go off them. The Scotch egg. Really? Wow. Um, this this is this is like it's art. Scotch it's eggs. art. <laughs> yeah. Paul, I need to take you to some restaurants. I've got to get you out, mate. Okay, right. So the Scot, we love the Scotch eggs. Look, we are we are embracing you like with both arms. We absolutely love you being in the UK. But I wonder if you saw a distinct difference in dating styles coming from the US to here, or how people approach love. Yes, yes, S several different things. Um, I would say generally 
more rule abiding here. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> you know, on, 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 on Tinder, we saw something really interesting is uh, we looked at the amount of time that people took to respond after connecting, after, you know, swiping right, you know, on someone. So connecting with someone much longer here. And I think it's because of part of the conservative nature, you know, whereas in the U.S. we're like, let's, let's do it tonight. Let's, let's get, get together tonight. So, so, so that was part of it. Also, how quickly the couple took to set up a date much longer here. So it was three days in the United States. It was seven to 10 days here. So you think about that. That's part of, I think, uh, the nuance of, 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 of that. But the bigger difference is actually not based on nationality but based on age. Right. So baby boomer, Gen X, millennial date comp entirely different to Gen Z. So Gen Z in the UK is very similar to Gen Z in the US, date entirely different. And I, I love the way Gen Z's date. Like Gen Z really, I, I think Gen Z is going to save dating, if you will, um, because it's just open. It's just like, I want to be authentic. One of the best pieces of data that I saw this year come out of this report that we that we wrote right called the future of dating report is that Gen Z is the first generation to say physical attraction is not the number one determinant to the second date now think about that my generation right we're like look do you look good yeah okay second date right yeah yeah Gen Z says you know do I feel like I could be my full self with you how brilliant that's brilliant Right. I feel like I could be my full self. Therefore, let's do this. It's not to say that they don't look at physical attraction because they do, but they're prioritizing other things. They're prioritizing authenticity. It's really healthy progress. Yes. It's it a is. beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. God, Paul, this has been a joy. I've loved talking to you. I've learned so much. I mean, it's stuff, everything in this book and everything we've talked about today, is stuff that I wish I'd learned in my 20s, I would have saved myself so much pain. Mm. I mean, part of that pain has made me who I am, sure, but it would have saved me a lot of pain and I think would have helped me date in a healthier way and actually have a bit more self-awareness about childhood and how that affects you, etc. I think it's deeply fascinating. I urge anyone, I mean, I'm giving your book to everyone that I know, <laughs> single or otherwise, because it's just, it's absolutely packed. And I'm so proud to publish it. And it's just been amazing to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank, thank you, you, Paul. Thank you. I'm going to show you my, I actually have bunions. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I'm coming out. I've got bunions, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Paul, I cannot tell you how much me and the whole Happy Place team adored that chat. We're just like the new Paul Brunson fan club over here. I am so obsessed with the idea of social capital. That one really got me. Rather than looking for the one, do more of the things that light you up and you'll attract great people into your circle. I absolutely love it. And actually, as I said, it's massively motivated me to just get out there and do social things that I might think I can't be bothered to do. It's always interesting. You're always going to meet someone new. It could lead to something or someone else. It's exciting. It's a brilliant concept. Find Love will be published by Happy Place Books, yes, on the 1st of February. Happy Place publishes books, but we also just read lots of books together too. So come and join us on Instagram. We're at Happy Place Book Club for loads of recommendations and chats about our favourite characters and plot lines. 
And listen, Paul mentioned so many brilliant sounding books too, so we can all add those to our reading list as well. Last thing, if you haven't listened to the Happy Place episode with Bronnie Ware about the five regrets of the dying Paul mentioned, please do. Oh my gosh, it is the most thought-provoking conversation. Bronnie is wonderful. All right, back next week. But in the meantime, the biggest thank you again to Paul, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and to you. I love you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.